please also hear that I'm truly sorry. Here's why this giant puzzle is taking us several days to solve. Southwest is the largest carrier in the country, not only because of our value and our values, but because we build our flight schedule around communities, not hubs. You know, I have nothing but pride and respect for the efforts of the people of Southwest who are showing up in every way. The tools we use to recover from disruption service well 99% of the time, but clearly we need to double down on our already existing plans to upgrade systems for these extreme circumstances so that we never again face what's happening uh, right now. All right, that is the uh, Southwest CEO, Bob Jordan, apologizing for the cancellation chaos that has uh, struck Southwest Airlines in a, in a particularly brutal way. Uh, not to be outdone by the apology from Bob Jordan, in comes Pete Buttigieg. I have no idea whether he's still in Portugal, if he's laying on a beach somewhere. I don't know where Pete Buttigieg is. He's in front of some kind of a blue screen. Let's, let's hear what Pete Buttigieg's assessment of this is. Uh, but the bottom line is uh, the rest of the aviation system has been on the road to recovery since the worst days of the storm going into Friday of last week. As of today, as I'm looking at the different airlines, most of them are in the low single digits in terms of cancellation rates, uh, averaging, averaging about 5% for all of the other airlines. Uh, for Southwest right now, we appear to be north of 70%. So th their system uh, really has completely melted down. And I've made clear that uh, our department will be holding them accountable for their responsibilities to customers, uh, both to get them through this situation and to make sure that this can't happen again. Ooh, ooh, Mayor Pete! They will, the Department of Transportation will hold you accountable there, Bob Jordan and Southwest. I'm not making fun of any of the people who have suffered terribly uh, as a result of these hell storms, uh, of, of the crises that, that broke out. And, and there's an explanation for, for why all this stuff happened. I mean, there's an explanation for it. It's nothing that makes it any easier, but the, the reality is you had a, you had a, winter storm on arguably what the first or second busiest time of the year to travel dumping multiple feet of snow across a lot of the country you had cancellations because of the holiday which means you don't have the normal sort of stuff that you would have say on a on, on a uh, on a saturday or a sunday or a monday in may when you don't really have that that kind of problem, ninety percent of Wednesday's U.S. flight cancellations were Southwest Airlines flights. That much is true, uh, but they they have people not running in a hub system like the other places do. You know, like, okay, we're going to go out of Charlotte, we're going to go out of Atlanta, we're going to go out of Chicago, we're going to go out of L.A., we're going to go out of the wherever New York, LaGuardia, Newark, whatever. They don't run that way. They, they just have locations that they fly into and out of. And my guess is at some point, this uh, CEO is going to have to uh, figure out what the best pathway forward is. But, but here's the deal, folks. Uh, Bob Jordan is the CEO of Southwest. And he said something you will never hear Pete Buttigieg say. You will never hear Joe Biden say. You sure as heck will never hear Kamala Harris say, I'm sorry. I am sorry. Nobody in politics ever utters the phrase, I'm sorry. Because, as I mentioned a couple of days ago, by the way, I am Brett Witterbull in for Dana Lash on The Dana Show. It's great to be here with you. Um, in the world of politics, it's the system that failed. 
Like, Bob Jordan would have been well within his rights to say, it's the system failed. The system failed. But no, here comes little Pete Buttigieg on his unicycle, or his, his, his little hoverboard, however he travels, uh, as he goes on the highways and byways of Portugal. Remember, he disappeared over to Portugal with Chasen uh, a couple of uh, weeks back, didn't tell anybody where, where they were going or what they were doing. Must be nice. Eric Adams bails out on New York City in the middle of the storm. Kathy Hochul's blaming climate change uh, for the for the for the dozens of people killed in uh, in in Buffalo, New York. Not to even mention uh, the atrocity, the profound criminal atrocity that was um, that took place there in Buffalo with thieving looters attacking stores because they wanted to get something for themselves you see if you want to go after people that are really wrecking your country you're gonna have to add in some people that are not just bob jordan the ceo of of southwest airlines now i i i flew southwest airlines i probably flown southwest airlines a hundred times in my life it's a fine airline but you know darn well when you get on a southwest flight uh, there, there are there are kind of peculiarities and risks involved, and I know Bob Bob Jordan says we're the biggest carrier and all this sort of stuff, but you're not exactly you don't operate like United, you don't operate like like American, uh, JetBlue, Virgin, Eastern. I was just doing that to see if you're paying attention. There is no Eastern Airlines, um, but this this is a guy who says I'm sorry, and. Let's just keep that in mind, all right? Because now he's going to take incoming. And here comes Buttigieg, and he says, I made it clear to the executives that our department will hold Southwest accountable for making things right with their customers and employees. Is there an indication, Buttigieg? 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 Is there, is there an, uh, any kind of an issue? Uh, do you think that they won't make things right with the customers and the employees? Your department won't make things right. You don't have any authority to punch a ticket for someone, to book a flight for someone, or any of that. The Department of Transportation is, in essence, just a, another device by which you can spend money, waste money, lose money, and then never be held to account. I mean, it is a race to the bottom between the Department of Transportation and the Department of Energy. Uh, I think the Department of Transportation creates more energy than the Department of Energy, and I think the Department of Energy has more energy than the, de the, the Department of Transportation. These are worthless I mean, right there with the Commerce Department, these are worthless agencies. Uh, it's why you have people like Buttigieg appointed to that. He's a technocrat. He would be much more comfortable, like in the EU, you know, running around with his later hosen and and his shorts and 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 his and his pointed hat, and he's doing the Oktoberfest dance. I could totally see Buttigieg doing that. I could not see Buttigieg running an actually critical uh, and important uh, department in any way, shape, or form because. I said yesterday, all government can do, all government can do is spend money and put you in jail. That's it. And Buttigieg has no authority to put Bob Jordan in jail. But what will probably happen is they will make the call and they will say, Bob Jordan's got to go. We need somebody to be blamed for this. It's going to be this guy and he's going to have to leave. And you watch. They will make him the face of the failure. They will never make the face of the failure all of the other bad policies that led up to this point. We have skated. We have skated for the last two or three years. But make no mistake, while the Biden administration, and I'm sure Buttigieg 
uh, agreed with it, was uh, making sure you could fire pilots because they didn't get the jab, were coming down hard and heavy on the CEOs of the other airlines, making sure they would fire those pilots who didn't take the jab while they were going after flight attendants who didn't want to take the jab uh, while they were going after, and let's expand it, people in the military who didn't want to take the jab you have seen a hemorrhaging of people who don't have to work in adverse conditions anymore bunch of pilots retired a whole bunch of pilots retired flight attendants retired baggage handlers said i've had enough of this nonsense now when that all happens you have two choices you have two choices you can get out there and try to hire a bunch of people to take those positions really hard with the pilots because it takes a certain amount of qualification and experience to get involved in that racket. Number two, nobody wants to be a flight attendant. Not, not in this current culture. Have you seen the way people show their posteriors to the flight attendants on those flights, punching people out? Something's changed in the culture of our country. I can't quite put a finger on it. Why are people beating up flight attendants? Why are pilots quitting? Why are flight attendants quitting? Why are people who are baggage handlers quitting? Because it's a miserable job. And you can't compel anybody. You can't Shanghai anybody and make them go take that job. Why? Because it stinks. It stinks. So I, I think there needs to be a summit or a blue ribbon commission with breakout sessions uh, involving the Department of Transportation, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, um, and, and, and let's throw Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre in the mix just for good measure. Why? Because they're not doing anything with the border. So let's let them fix the airlines the way they fixed the border. You can't put faith in earthly princes, and you can't put faith in bureaucrats whose last big assignment before they ran for president, was the mayor of a small town in Indiana. There is no qualification to leap from South Bend Mayor Pete to the Department of Transportation. There is no analog. I'm Brett Witterbull. You're listening to The Dana Show. Listen to The Dana Show live on the Odyssey app. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And I am Brett Witterbull in for Dana Lash on The Dana Show. Great to be here with you. Let me just close out one last thought on that conversation I was just having with you about uh, the airlines. Because there is one other option, and it's one that we oftentimes overlook. And the reason why we overlook it is because of the way we've been culturated to, um, uh, to, to, to think that there's only one solution to these problems. The fix on this is to just take your dollars and not spend them at airlines that don't deliver for you. I don't mean to punish the CEO over at uh, over at the uh, uh, Southwest Airlines organization or any of the other airlines, but you do have choices. You do not have to fly. You could actually get together with a bunch of your friends and do like a fractional jet rental if you wanted to do that. Right? You get like five or six of your people. Everybody ponies up two thousand dollars, and boom! Now you're on a now you're on a charter jet, a private jet. You can do what you want, eat what you want, drink, eat whatever, sleep. Uh, and just fly that way. It's very expensive, but that will guarantee that you're going to be able to get where you got to go because you'll have a pilot, you'll have a plane, and you'll leave when you want to leave. But 
the Department of Transportation doesn't really have any standing here. Uh, the, the BBB isn't really going to be able to help you out. It's because we have been cultured over time to believe the government will fix it. I could ask the government to fix it. They're not going to fix it. Let me give you an example. And this is a story moving right now. You know the Winklevoss twins? You saw them in the uh, in the uh, Facebook movie once upon a time, right? Those characters um, with, with Facebook. Crypto investors are now suing Winklevoss twins over interest accounts on Gemini. Plaintiffs have alleged that the products have not been registered, which prevented them from receiving disclosures to better assess the risks of using what they called Gemini Earn. Why is that happening? Because of what happened with FTX. What's happening with FTX today, you ask? I'd be happy to tell you, FTX customers are filing class action lawsuits to get priority reparations from whoever's got that money. From whoever's got that money. You see, you have the power of your dollars. Now, you by yourself are not going to be able to have a huge impact on things. But if you decide not to spend money and other people decide not to spend money, at some point, people are going to say, forget it. And if you don't trust that marketplace, all you have to do is look at what's gone on with the stock over at Disney. Ever since they went fully woke, you're seeing people taking their dollars and their tourism money and not going to Disney World. Because they didn't like the way Bob Chapek ran it. They don't like the way uh, Bob Iger's running it. So the most power you can possibly harness is how you spend your dollars in these different outfits. I mean, that's it. What do you say we get a quick five? And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. All right, you know, as part of the Quick Five, I was going to talk about Southwest and the other airlines canceling thousands of flights across the U.S., but you know that story already. And again, I'm going to encourage you to pick wisely when you buy a ticket. Sometimes the cheapest rate isn't the best way to go at all. Have you noticed that the TV ratings are start, are starting to fall? It seems to me that there are people who are saying, I, I don't feel like consuming the stuff that's on TV right now. Now we're going to start watching stuff in the streaming era that looks a little bit better to us. You know, this is a marketplace as well. Everybody knows that. Uh, late night TV is not as funny as it once was. So the only people that are watching the late night TV are progressives. Other people are turning to streaming. That's why you get these uh, ratings, these super high ratings on things like Yellowstone and, and, and the programs that people really do like. Uh, they're able to avoid the garbage, which is a technical term, uh, from Hollyweird that they're trying to shove down your throat. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really simple, easy uh, economy to figure out. You watch, they get paid. You don't watch, they get canceled. Rinse and repeat. One of the saddest, most heartbreaking stories during the current Biden economy is the fact that people are now giving up their pets because of inflation. When the street cats of Chicago's Hyde Park get out of control, Frances Spaltrow's neighbors know they can call her for help. She shuttles the cats to foster homes, but there aren't enough for all the strays, which often aren't strays at all, just uh, pets looking for their homes and the owners that turned them outside. Wintertime, they're throwing cats out onto the streets of Chicago. During the worst days of summer, when Chicago's oppressive heat drove abandoned animals to court strangers for food and water and air conditioning, Spaltro's rescue assisted 35 homeless cats 
from a neighborhood of fewer than 30,000 residents. Why is it happening? Inflation. Who's inflation? Biden inflation. People cannot afford to take care of their pets any longer uh, because Joe Biden has just made it too prohibitively expensive. It's disgusting. Piers Morgan's Twitter account posted uh, offensive messages about the Queen and Ed Sheeran in an apparent hack. Yep, that's right. That's what he's saying. By the way, does he actually mean the Queen and Ed Sheeran as if they were a couple? That would be weird. I think it was two different people being insulted. And then finally, tech mobiles lost $433 billion this year in terms of valuation. These are companies that you rely on, that you invest in. Well, they're taking a major haircut, which means your 401k may become a 202k or a 201k. Uh, It's incredible, ladies and gentlemen. That is your quick five. Don't put your pets out in the winter. Don't put your pets out in the summer. Put the folks at the White House out in 2024. I'm Brett Witterbull. It's The Dana Show. Your one-stop shop for the information you need to fight back. If you're going to have to learn stuff, you might as well enjoy it. The Dana Show. We got to understand that the border communities are taking the brunt of everything that's happening. I can understand the buses are going off to uh, Chicago, uh, to New York and Washington, D.C., but we're, they're only getting a drop of what we face here at the border communities. That's 100% right. Uh, Congressman uh, Henry Cuellar out of Texas uh, talking about this. By the way, that was an awesome bump. That's that's one of my favorite bumps in the entire world. Thank you so much, Stephen, for playing that. Uh, Henry Cuellar is exactly right. Now, isn't it interesting that you hear on a relatively consistent basis people from Texas talking about the dangers at the border? You don't hear anything from the people of New Mexico. You hear a little bit from Arizona, you hear nothing from California. And it's because, look, New Mexico is basically a blue state. California is is super blue. Arizona swings both ways. It can be, you know, red, purple, red-ish, pink, purple, whatever it's got to be. But you only hear consistently from those patriots, the great patriots in the state of Texas, um, when they talk about the challenges here. And, and, and this is what is uh, so frustrating, because it feels to me like the people in Texas are screaming into the whirlwind. Do you remember uh, a year and a half, two years ago, when you had that terrible ice storm in Texas, and everybody was blaming uh, Greg Abbott and the power grid and all that sort of stuff? You almost never see aid sent to the state of Texas by the federal government. It's so rare. Biden and before him, um, uh, Obama, Biden, they hate the state of Texas. They like El Paso. They like Dallas. They like San Antonio. They like Houston. They can't stand Texas because they understand what Texas represents. Uh, Texas represents a once grand Democrat state that found its way to a better direction and so you have these folks who just feel nothing for the people of texas oh my gosh go back to the clintons with the branch davidian compound can you imagine if the federal government went into any other community in the united states and burned a compound down with tear gas and children 
burnt alive in that building. Nobody cared about that. Nobody there wasn't really outrage. CNN, you know, would refer to him as Raven Dave and 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 all that kind of stuff. But th- th- that state, for whatever reason, is a thorn in the eye of the elites in this country. And the elites are everywhere. The elites are not just in Washington or L.A. or New York or Chicago or San Francisco. The elites are everywhere. The elites are the people that control the messaging. They're the people who control the news flow. They're the people who have the Slack channels that are inside of Twitter to make sure that, that you know, you slack-jawed yokels don't get to express your opinion on vaccination or border security or terrorism or any of this kind of stuff. Because you're just just way too inconvenient you're way too inconvenient um but the supreme court came out yesterday and i'm of two minds about the decision that the supreme court came out uh, regarding title 42 you have a group of supreme court justices who band together right you've got judge jackson you, you've got sotomayor and, and then uh, of course um, you've got Kagan. You would have had, at some point in that mix, another liberal if there was another liberal on the just on the Supreme Court. But there's not. There's not because uh, remember it was Joe Biden who ran off a, a perfectly fine liberal Supreme Court jurist, right? Got him out of there because he needed to appoint somebody to 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 make him look like he's got street credibility. Neil Gorsuch, a quote Trump appointee. Um, wrote a dissent along with the three liberals. And what I like about what Neil Gorsuch wrote was the consistency he's showing. Because what he's saying in his dissent was, hey, you guys can't come to us at the Supreme Court because you can't get your act together in the Congress. And the president can't get his act together by giving up an amnesty, which is really what he wants to do. Um, we know that they want to give. They, they, they said this. They allocated this. Uh, Chuck Schumer said this. President Biden said this. Minimum, minimum number for amnesty, 11 million, likely number 50, because that's how many people are in the country without permission. We have 331 million people in this country, about 50 million of them are not supposed to be here. All right, about 50 million of them are not supposed... I mean, it's really, it's a high number. They love to go on TV and be like, let's just, let's bring the 11 million out of the shadows. 11 million would be like 10% of what you've got. No, it'd be, it'd be like five, it'd be like uh, 20% of what you got coming out of the shadows. So, Gorsuch's dissent says essentially, you guys title 42 into effect it was to keep COVID out of the country joe biden and uh el faucho came out and said the pandemic was over so we should be able to just lift this title 42 thing it shouldn't be a factor anymore and here you're coming to us to ask us to extend yet another executive order that has expired yet another administrative order that has expired so that you can get some cover. And make no mistake, Republicans want that cover. Mitch wants that cover. Kevin wants that cover. Joe wants that cover. Chuck wants that cover. And uh, Nancy Pelosi 
Watch that cover. Although it's really Hakeem Jeffries' gig now. But they, they don't want to have to deal with this. They don't want to have to deal with this. Now, my advice, since we've got this Title 42 now in a freeze position, it's going to be in effect until they can hear the case, until they can render a decision, which will be in June, which you know what that means. Do I have to warn you? Do I have to draw you a picture? I will. Which means you're going to have pressure on the Supreme Court justices to not have another Dobbs decision. You're going to get, sure, as the sun will rise in the east and set in the west, you're going to get Roberts, who's going to cave, absolutely cave, and throw in with the need for illegals to be able to get citizenship in some measure or fashion, and he will not, he will not strike down the uh the president's position i mean he he will he will side with the president he will not strike down what the position is that he has that he has assent, uh, asserted so that's going to be the dividend from the dobbs decision because you're going to have people say i do not want a whole bunch of people on my front lawn trying to burn my house down because i'm extending title 42 so what Kevin McCarthy has to do is he has to get on the VAT phone and he has to call all the way outside the continental United States, even though technically the Virgin Islands is part of the United States. I'm talking about he's not on the continent of the United States. And he's got to call Joe Biden and he's got to say, Joe Biden, listen to me. If you think you're going to get 50 million people amnestied, if you think you're going to get 20 million people amnestied, if you think you're going to get 15 million people amnestied, I want you to understand right now, nothing comes out of the Congress for the next two years. I will not release a bill. You will not get a budget. You will not get funding for any of your programs none of it unless you assent to border security and you have about a one percent chance that kevin mccarthy is going to do that because he has a linguine spine like so many others but what you could do is you could pick up your phones and call them there at the house call your representatives and say absolutely no amnesty without the border being secured period full stop and if you all want to lose your jobs in the next go round, let us know we'll be happy to go pull the lever for independence or write-ins and just do you guys in because there's really only one way forward and that is of course as you and i know the sovereignty of the united states being protected everything else that comes along that isn't part of that equation is just politics. I, I don't think Kevin McCarthy will make that call. I think Mitch will sell you out in a minute. Especially when you got guys like Mitt Romney and, and the lot of them who, who are just so more interested in uh, keeping, as Mel Brooks spoke of, in Blazing Saddles, their phony baloney jobs. Coming up, are you fat phobic? If you go to a gym, one person says you are. We'll talk about it straight ahead. I'm Brett Witterbull. You're listening to The Dana Show. Of all your favorite talk hosts, one of these is not like the others. The Dana Show. What makes somebody fat phobic at the gym? Let's talk about it. Are you going to the gym so you can get a flat stomach? Or are you going to the gym so you can build a stable core and have better posture? 
Are you motivated to go to the gym so that you can lose weight? Or are you focused on increasing muscle and bone density? Do you only consider a workout good when you feel sore or tired the next day? Or do you look to feel energized and awake after working out? Are you prioritizing leg day because you want your butt to look super delicious? Or is it because you know strong glutes help protect your knees and your back? Wanting to work out does not make anyone fat phobic, but the motivations why you might go to the gym do. No way. That, that, these people do not really exist. I can't believe that these people really exist. That's a TikToker telling you that going to the gym so you can lose weight is, in fact, fat phobic. What's wrong with fat phobia? Like, you know, if I'm if if I'm if I'm phobic from snakes or if I'm phobic with uh, uh, from taking drugs that might kill me or drinking alcohol, I mean, there, there, there's phobia can sometimes be a good thing, okay? It's a, it's a self-preservation device in some cases. I am not going to go climb Mount Everest. You know why? I don't like high open spaces. So I, I'm phobic of a high open space, which guarantees me pretty much that I am never going to fall off uh, Mount Everest or, or Denali or any of the other big uh, mountains out there and around. And by the way, by the way, how dare you? How dare you question my truth about why it is I go to the gym? My my truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. And never the twain shall meet. The fact of the matter is, you don't get to judge. You don't have the right to judge me uh, based on my truth. If it's my, if it was Santos's truth, we'll talk about him later in the show, and it's my truth, then you can't judge my truth. Maybe I'm fatful. Maybe I come from a family of fatties. Maybe I come from a family of it. Perhaps I have a number of fat people in my family that have died at a very early age because of uh, arterial sclerosis or uh, the common parlance that can be used in some communities. They, they got to grab her. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a terrible thing. I want to be fit. I want to look more like Jack LaLanne at 90 uh, than, than I do. Uh, you know, somebody being featured on a Discovery Channel show at 32. I mean, this is this is what it comes down to. So you don't get to judge other people for why they go work out. And I, I don't know anybody who wants a delicious butt. What was the term she used? It was something like that. Do you want a, a tasty butt, a delicious butt? I don't know. I don't want that either. You know what I want? I want to do my reps. I want to do my. I want to do all my exercises. I'll tell you the. I'll tell you the exercise I do. Here's the exercise I do. You know what I like? I like the high-intensity interval training. I like the HIIT. You know why? Those workouts are done in like 25 minutes, and you bust a lot of energy into that. But you're done in 25 minutes so that you are back home eating healthy salads and ramen or whatever you want to eat because I'm not judging you. I don't judge anybody. Um, and and so this, this whole fat-phobic thing, we have got to, in 2023, finally banish the phrase phobic. From our lexicon, we need to become phobic phobic of the phobias and just say, I'm not I'm not hearing it anymore. That's baggage that you have got to unpack. I don't have to unpack that baggage because I don't need to unpack that baggage. But but look at it this way. You've got people that want to manage the lives of so many other folks in our country, in our society, whose personal lives are positively disasters. You know who I'm talking about. You've seen these people. You know what I mean. These people that have answers for everybody else's challenge, and they can't make their rent payment on time. They can't pay their credit cards or student loan bills. They can't maintain a stable relationship. 
They're just a constant disaster about to make landfall. The climate folks kind of fall into that category. There's a piece that ran that I did a quadruple take. Your junk drawer full of small unused electronics is a big climate problem. Wait, so my drunk junk drawer, my junk drawer is a climate problem? Think for a minute about your personal electronics. No, not the computer or tablet or smartphone that you're using right now. Think instead about all the DVD players, phones, keyboards, chargers, TV remotes, gaming consoles, MP3 players that are buried in the darkest corners of your closet or within the impenetrable depths of your overstuffed junk drawers. It's a decent amount of stuff, right? These small household electronics could be donated, repaired, or recycled in theory. Their components can be used in new products. But even for people who may know this already, there's a tendency to hoard so-called e-waste. Electronic products that are old, broken, obsolete, or are simply no longer in use. While hoarding a stash of old devices may seem like a harmless quirk, experts say it's environmentally detrimental because it's happening on such a, long, a large scale. It's really an issue of grave concern, this hoarding. And it's difficult to address because, about, because of consumer behavior. Why do people behave the way they do? Says Pascal Leroy, Director General of the WEE Forum. It's W-E-E-E. -E -E. A Brussels-based association of global e-waste management organizations. There's something in us that prevents us from properly disposing of it or properly recycling it. Wait a, wait a minute. How, how do you know? How do you know that, that, that I'm not going to use that? How do you know that? Now they give you the scary number. Consider, for example, that consumers will stop using roughly 5.3 billion smartphones and mobile phones this year, according to the Wii Forum. Stacked flat atop one another, the group calculates these products would rise 120 times higher than the orbit of the International Space Station or about an eighth of the way to the moon. In a better world, those phones or their parts would find a second life. But in the reality, but in the reality, many will be trashed or become household dust magnets. If I've got it in a cabinet, it's not hurting the environment. Okay? I'm waiting for the future technology to perfect itself so that I can then recycle this. That's all I'm doing. I'm being responsible. I'm not being irresponsible. And by the way, why can't we just put this stuff and shoot it up into space. Send it out into the depths of space. At some point, it'll circle, go right into the sun and burn up. We'll be fueling the sun. That, well, don't want to try to explain it to you guys. Now, now you're tech-phobic. I'm Brett Witterbull. It is The Data Show. When it comes to Russia's war against Ukraine, if we were still in Afghanistan, uh, it would have, I think made much more complicated the support that we've been able to give and that others have been able to give Ukraine to resist and push back against the Russian aggression. That is Anthony Blinken, your Secretary of State.
with uh, with an interesting theory. So he says because we got out of Afghanistan, we were free to fight the Russians in Ukraine. But wait a minute. We had troops on the ground in Afghanistan. Do we have troops on the ground fighting in Ukraine for, against the Russians? See, it, it doesn't make sense. I get what he's saying. He's saying resources, right? We, we, have, we have way more available missiles and bombs and stuff that we can use to, to keep the Ruskies at bay here. But if we were in Afghanistan, we wouldn't be able to have the exact same sort of thing. There's an analogy that I've used for a lot of years, and I think this is a perfect embodiment of, of this way of thinking. It goes like this. Hey, honey, guess what? Yeah? What? I just saved us $5,000. Really? You saved us $5,000? How did you save us $5,000? I bought a new couch. And the couch was originally $10,000. I only paid $5,000 for it. So I actually saved us $5,000. Yeah, but we didn't need a new couch. And where's the other $5,000 at? Well, no, it would have been 10000 but it's only 5000 I saved you that money. That's the kind of logic and thinking that goes on in government. That is the kind of logic and thinking. R remember, the worst thing you can do when it comes to financing government is to, uh, is to ever do budgeting that doesn't start at zero so you want your budgeting to start at zero so a department comes up to you the defense department comes up to you and they say we need uh, 800 billion dollars for the department of defense okay what was your budget last year well our, our budget last year was 600 billion but because of inflation and stuff, we need $800 billion this year. Okay, so assume I give you the $800 billion. How much are you going to need next year? Well, probably probably $1.2 because of inflation. No, 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 no. Go get your people together. Count all your bullets, all your missiles, all your bombs, all the fuel you need for your, for your vehicles. And then come back and tell us how much it's going to cost us to... To run the Defense Department. Well, that's not how we do it. We don't we don't zero base budget. Why don't we zero base budget? Because because you'd be held to account to your budget. You're just like the guy who thinks he's gonna get a 20% raise every year. You know, honey, I'm thinking we should go to Maui this summer. Really? Why Maui? Well, I've been getting 20% raises uh, for the last couple of years. I'm sure we're going to get 20% this year because we just got two 20%. So I, I think we're good to go to Maui. You can't run your books like that. That's what Blinken is doing. Because what Blinken's not going to account for is, okay, what did you justify doing when we pulled everybody out of Afghanistan? Like, how did you, how did you spend those proceeds back once upon a time a year and a half ago? How did you spend that money because i'm sure you spent that money i'm sure you took that money and said well we're going to send this money over to kyrgyzstan we're going to send it to uzbekistan 
We're going to send them to Nowhereistan, and we're going to send it over there, and then they're going to have the money. So this idea that you are saving us money, and we have better resources to fight the Russians when we don't have boots on the ground doesn't make any sense at all. But these are people who are perpetually involved in the war business. Even though he's a Secretary of State guy, he's all about being in the war. Because look what he's talking about. He's talking about a war with the Russians. And, and this is something that they have sought for a very long time. Go look for Victoria Newland and, and, and all those folks that you saw getting paraded through with Call Me Vinman and, and uh, all the other ones. I didn't say Call Me Vinman. I said Call Me Vinman. Remember, he was Call Me Colonel Vinman, darn it. Um, they, they, these people have all been... Desperate to get into a punch out with the Russians since the wall came down in the 1990s. In 89 and then in 91, when the Soviet Union was disbanded, since then, the D's were upset that they never got their war directly against the Russians. They, they were upset that it was Reagan that pulled that off, that it was Bill Clinton that took advantage of the what they called the the dividend, right? The peace dividend. They were furious. The, the, the one thing the Democrats wanted was to make good on the disaster that was Vietnam under Lyndon Baines Johnson. Because realistically, you could make the argument that the presidents, Harry Truman and Lyndon Baines Johnson did not provide, uh, did not uh, preside over successful military engagements um during the cold war you end up with a stalemate with the with the north koreans and the chinese uh in in korea and you end up with a disaster inside vietnam because lbj uh did not understand that this was going to be a harder slog than it was and you didn't have the ability to fight the way you should fight if you want to win on a permanent basis there's a reason japan has never struck us in 80 years all right they, they got that one punch in and then it was all america delivering the haymakers same with the with the germans you have to defeat an enemy permanently defeat them but for a long time people like biden and hillary clinton i mean do you remember the great reset not 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 the klaus schwab great reset where he was going to redefine how you live your life but the original Great Reset, when uh, Barack Hussein Obama sent Hillary Clinton to go to the Russians, and they, she gave them a reset button. Do you remember this? It was the reset button. She hands it off to, to it wasn't Putin, it was uh, Putin's uh, lieutenant there. I'm trying to remember his name now. Medvedev. They give it to Medvedev, and what do you get? You get, hi. It's hard work, but we're committed to resetting the relationship between the U.S. and Russia. Resetting the relationship, huh, Hillary Clinton? Uh-huh. You mean like the way the Russians reset it when they took part of Georgia? You mean the way the Russians are going to reset it when they take Crimea? You mean like that? Yes, it's hard work. We're going to reset the relationship with the Russians. There was only one problem. The word that was printed on the reset button was not reset. The word was overcharge. So she basically said to the Russians, 
hey, it's hard work. Go ahead and let's overcharge. We'll overcharge you. We'll overcharge us. It's going to be great. And that's really what happened. That's why you see that picture of Jen Psaki in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the hat that you've seen floating around on Twitter for like five years. So this is the problem with this sort of thinking because it is not oriented to a victory. It is not oriented to a victory. It is oriented to a permanent war state so that you can spread the dollars through the State Department, you can use the ordinance in the Department of Defense, and you can simultaneously call out the critics of the war as being anti-democratic, anti-American, anti-humanitarian. You just label them however you want. Now, think about the war we're in right now, paying for Zelensky and company, and then understand that Larry Fink from BlackRock and Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum have just sidled up to Zelensky to tell him how they're going to rebuild Ukraine after this war is done. Not going to be American defense contractors, not going to be American contractors, not going to be us recouping any sort of a strategic advantage. They're going to make sure that Zelensky gets assimilated right into, right into the great reset of resets. And all we had to do was pony up $100 billion. How can we possibly lose time after time after time? Because we have the same professional political class running the show there in D.C. Or in D.C. Or ACDC. I'm Brett Werble. You're listening to The Dana Show. Shooting down woke culture one crazy headline at a time. It's The Dana Show. And I am Brett Witterbull, in for Dana on The Dana Show. Uh, Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump's tax returns are going to be released by a House panel coming up on Friday. That's right. The House Ways and Means Committee will release former President Donald Trump's tax returns on Friday morning, according to a source familiar with it, confirming to CNN. The returns will be placed into the congressional record on Friday morning during a House pro forma session. That pro forma session will occur at about 9 a.m. Eastern time on Friday. There will also be a formal announcement Friday from the committee. The highly anticipated release comes after the panel last week asserted that the IRS failed to properly audit the former president's taxes while he was in office. The committee released a report that detailed six years worth of the president's uh, tax returns, including his claims of massive annual losses that significantly reduced his tax burden. Chairman Richard Neal of Massachusetts and fellow Democrats have said the records they obtained showed that the presidential audit program failed to work as intended. Neal, a Massachusetts Democrat, charged that the uh, complete required audit of Trump's taxes did not occur. His returns were only subjected to the mandatory audit once in 2019. After Democrats inquired, the committee also released a supplemental report from the Joint Committee on Taxation that includes details on Trump's tax returns from 2015 to 2020, ahead of the planned release of the returns themselves. The release of Trump's tax returns 
marks the conclusion of a four-year legal battle that House Democrats waged against former President uh, Trump after they took control of the House in 2019. So people are going to see his tax returns. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what the, the broader implications of that is. I mean, are they are they attempting to, are they going to charge him with tax fraud? How is this going to happen? Now, it's interesting because they've done this at the last possible moment because the House has come down on the Speaker from the West. The House has come down on her and her striped socks and feet are showing uh, to everybody. Um, she she has um, is no longer got the power she once had. So what she's going to do is she's attempting to embarrass the former president. And the reality is, there's a lesson in this. Anybody in the Congress, if they decided that they really wanted to um, be punitive, they could take your taxes and post them. Like, maybe they don't like that you made a speech at a school board meeting, and they decided that John Q. Public or Jane Q. Public should have their taxes released out there publicly. I mean, if they can do this to Trump, they can do this to you as an individual. They can they can humiliate you. They can make fun of you. But here's what's interesting to me. I'd love to see Richie Neal's tax returns. I'd love to see Nancy Pelosi's tax returns. I'd love to see Hunter Biden's tax returns. I mean, if we're now going to be in the tax return looking at business, well, let's get into the tax return looking at business. And uh, don't, don't try to tell me, well, no, he was a former president. No, 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 no. This is there's a lot of stuff that we can find out. Let's see how many checks for for whatever funny business went into the bank accounts of Hunter Biden. Maybe maybe it's possible that Hunter Biden was laundering money for his father. We don't know. We've got to investigate this. We better get all the the Hunter and Joe Biden and Jill Biden and uh, Valerie Biden. That's the uh, aunt. Uh, and, and, and Jim Biden, let's get all their tax. Let's make, we'll put it into a book and we'll deliver it to the American people so they can see how all the Bidens did. And while we're at it, let's, let's claw back and look at the tax returns of the Obama family, the Clintons. Let's, let's just get all this stuff out in the, let's find out what our ruling class is hiding in terms of income. Because I mean, this is the precedent that's now being set. Anybody that wants to run for president. You better make sure your taxes are in order because one party or the other is going to take the power they have and release it. And that's an important point. What do you say we get a very quick, quick five? And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. Elon Musk is now claiming that ex-Twitter employees were at a Fauci fan club Slack channel inside the organization. Musk tweeted the claim in a thread that was highly critical of Fauci, who was accused by the mogul of lying about the so-called gain of function. That's just pumping up the virus to make sure more people died. Uh, despite these glaring issues, Twitter nonetheless had an internal Slack channel unironically called the Fauci fan club. Wow. Cartel gunmen making videos and putting out their uh, uh, activities on social media to offer insights into their world on Christmas. A short video clip from inside a cockpit appears to show a small plane flying through Mexico. These are planes that are carrying uh, cocaine. That's what these planes are doing. They're carrying 
uh, cocaine. Whoopi Goldberg's latest Holocaust wasn't about race take. Also has her now appropriating genocide. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg made an erroneous comment uh, there on the program. She's now getting a mandatory vacation, reiterating her false claim uh, the, that the Holocaust wasn't originally uh, occurring as a result of race. Uh, additionally, the ringleader to kidnap the Michigan governor was sentenced to 16 years in prison. We'll see how much time he actually does. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, the new republic is trying to explain why they've chosen Matt Walsh as the transphobe of the year. I'm Brett Witterbull. You're listening to The Dana Show. Red meat, black coffee, truth telling. The Dana Show. Of course, it means to, to carry yourself in an honorable way. And I made a mistake. And I think humans are flawed. And we all make mistakes, Tulsi. Um, I think we can all look at ourselves in the mirror and admit that once in our life we made a mistake. I'm having to admit this in national television for the whole country to see. And I have the courage to do so because I believe that in order to move past this and move forward and be an effective member of Congress, I have to face my mistakes. And I'm facing them. All right, that is uh, George Santos, who recently won a seat to Congress. He's getting ready to be sworn in here in a couple of days, four or five days, and uh, doing an interview with Tulsi Gabbard last night on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox. And he has come under fire for not just, like, one little fib or one little lie. He has come under fire for a number of them. Like, for example, saying he's... Jewish when he's Catholic, saying that he was gay, but being married to a woman, uh, uh, saying that he worked for Goldman Sachs and other investment banking firms. And I watched this interview and there is a clear disconnect between this guy and the truth. Now, let me give you an example of somebody who I think is going completely bonkers uh, about uh, George Santos, and this is uh, Dean Obadala. Uh, he is a talk show host. He has opinions. He is a far leftist. Just understand what his position is, and it always, of course, comes down to Donald Trump. Cut number six. Have you heard of this guy, Donald Trump, Jonathan? Because he was a serial liar who attempted a coup, helped incite a terrorist attack on our capital, lied about everything, and Kevin McCarthy badmouthed Trump for a week after. The attack and then went down and kissed his ring and has been the greatest defender since. Look, the GOP is about party at any cost. There is no principle anymore left in this party. And look at George Santos. Why would you think lying is wrong when the leader of the GOP, Donald Trump, lies every hour? All right. So George, uh, George Santos did not have his lies uncovered until after he uh, was elected. Right. So now it's been uncovered. Now it's been uncovered. Um. Donald Trump, if, if you if you don't like his politics, if you didn't like his politics, if you didn't like what he said, you had two separate occasions to vote against him. Actually, really, four separate occasions, because you could have voted against him in the primaries. You could vote against him in the general. You could vote against him in the primary, and you could vote against him in the general. And he's now going to run for office again. So you will have a third opportunity to reject the argument he's making if you think he's a serial liar. George Santos's lies didn't become clear, did not were not disclosed until after the guy got elected. And he doesn't seem to me like he's going anywhere. He doesn't seem to me like you know, Dean Obadiah can can yell about it all he wants and anybody can yell about him all they want. But this guy's not going to he's not 
I don't think he's going to quit. I think he's like, you know what? I got elected. I'm going to do my thing. What do I care? He knows full well that he's got a lot of power right now because Kevin McCarthy uh, is not going to sanction him because he needs the majority. So what's the answer? Well, I would say if I was George Santos, just go declare yourself an independent. Better yet, go declare yourself a Democrat and go caucus with the Democrats and see what they do. I mean, I, look, I, I'm, I'm being facetious, but there's not a lot you can do. You have to understand when you elect somebody to office, okay, they're representing a district. You might not like AOC. You might not like uh, Rashida Tlaib, J- J- Jamal, uh, um, uh, Pramila Jayapal out in Seattle. There are people who get elected that you probably don't like. And the same is true of people that are conservatives. I mean, look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. Look at Lauren Boebert. Look at these folks that get elected that the left hates and makes a profession out of hating those people. Unfortunately, you don't get to decide unless you live in AOC's district or you live in uh, Rashida Tlaib's district or you live in George Santos's district. You don't have a say. I don't know that there's any ability to claw back um, an election like that because he lied. I mean, I imagine if he were, say, an illegal alien, ineligible to be uh, a congressman, okay, you might be able to have a proceeding and deport him and throw him out, and you'd have to have another election, right? But if he's an American, if he's of age... If he ran and got the votes, and if it turns out he lied, that's on you. You can't just go in the ballot and and say, I'm going to pull the lever for whatever's got an R or whatever's got a D next to it. I'm just, I'm not, you can't do that unless you know who you're voting for. But this is, this is the reality we have. The, The founders, for as much as they're excoriated by lunatics at Ivy League universities, the founders built in very, very limited shock absorbers into our system. They figured that, by and large, people who got elected would be people who had some measure of integrity. And if they didn't have that measure of integrity when it comes to being a congressperson, well, they had a limited window to do damage. They were going to be a congressperson for two years. And if they turned out to be a scoundrel, a criminal, a liar, a cheat, well, that's called politics. And either the stigma of being the liar, the cheater, those sorts of things is going to drive you from office or it's not. Now you've got gerrymandered districts. You've got people that are safe. I mean, just. I'm not even going to name names. We all know who I'm talking about. People who are in the Congress, who you look at, and I, I'm well aware that on the Dana show, we've got liberals, we've got conservatives, we've got moderates, libertarians, probably a few pinko leftist communists out there listening to the show because it's a great show. Um, you, you have limited options to, to do anything about this. You really do. And you can't pick who the person's going to be representing a district unless you live in that district. 
And and this is the reality of politics in 2022 going on 2023. So unless Santos wakes up and says, you know what, I'm really ashamed of what I've done. But he doesn't seem connected to to, to reality. He attempted to make an explanation uh, for why it was he claimed he worked for Goldman Sachs um, and, and another financial um, organization. And his explanation was, well, no, I was a guy who put deals together and what he was trying to. I think trying to say, and he wasn't doing a very good job of it, was I had clients and then I would take them to investment banks and I would say, hey, you could work with Goldman Sachs. You could work with this bank. You could work with that bank. I was really just a broker. I mean, it's a lot like saying, well, I'm I'm a mortgage banker when you're a mortgage broker, where you're distributing business out there. But that's also still a difference than being a banker at Goldman Sachs, which is a, in the world of finance, regarded as a prestigious position. It's a hard position to get. And when people went and called and said, did, you, did this guy work at Goldman Sachs? They're like, we have no record of this guy. Goldman Sachs would have a record of this guy. Now, again, I go back to what I said yesterday. And that was this, this conversation about the brazilian criminal records how did they get that information how does that show up this this is why you have got to vet the people who run i mean there's plenty of lessons for us to digest from the 2022 elections one thing that mitch mcconnell talked about and believe you me i am no mitch fan i do not dig mitch but the fact of the matter is Mitch McConnell said at the conclusion of the elections that you have got to ensure that you've got quality candidates running for office. And what he was mostly speaking about, obviously, was what happened in the Senate, because that's really his main concern. So he was saying that with an eye towards Dr. Oz and I think with an implied eye toward Fetterman, with an eye toward Herschel Walker um, and, and that sort of stuff. When you go and you pick people that you don't really know anything about, that you haven't done a background check on, that, that you don't know what their story is. You're running a huge risk. Any of you that are political junkies like I am, you know, I'll give you a name, Christine O'Donnell. The Christine O'Donnell race, when she came out and said, I'm not a witch. I'm not a witch. Stop saying I'm a witch. Um, the Sarah Palin effect. I mean, these are people who, sure, they have a right to run for office. Absolutely. But how much about them do you know? I remember when Madison Cawthorn was the hot new ticket until you started having these videos with him and his cousin or his friend or whatever that was. And people said, whoa, what is this? You've got to know who you're voting for. Say what you want. If you know who you're voting for and you know all the stuff that they come with, You've done all you can do. You've done all you can do. Plenty more straight ahead. I'm Brent Witterbull. It is The Dana Show. Want a behind-the-scenes look at The Dana Show? Subscribe to Dana's chapter and verse newsletter for a deeper dive in all things Dana at danalash.com. And I am Brent Witterbull in for Dana on The Dana Show. It's great to be here with you. Uh, you know, first you tell us one thing. 
Then you tell us something totally different. This out of the beautiful state of Alabama, WHNT. After days of bone-chilling weather leading to dripping faucets throughout the Tennessee Valley, the Alabama Department of Environmental Management is now asking residents and businesses to stop the practice once the temperatures are above freezing. For those of you who live in very warm climates and who did not transplant from cold climates, it's important to note that when you get into these terrible uh, uh, freezing temperatures, right, where you get below 32 and you're below 32, maybe you're below 22 or 12 for a few days, you're oftentimes told by the authorities, just, just put the faucet on a tiny bit so you get like one drip every minute or 90 seconds that forms. And that's to keep the pipes working, right? You don't want your pipes to freeze up. That's a real nightmare. Well, here's the problem. On Monday, ADEM said several public water systems in the state have been experiencing excessive water loss and are struggling to keep up with consumer demand. This is in Alabama. As frozen pipes thaw, leaks are also making the issue worse. On Tuesday, uh, utility customers uh, were asked to conserve water and suggested that vacation homeowners check their properties for water leaks. This uh, this organization, ADEM, said the public can help by checking for leaks inside and outside their homes or businesses. If you find a leak, shut off the water supply till it's repaired. If you have a major leak and are not able to shut off the water supply, contact your local water company for help today. In fact, I had an appointment in the city of Charlotte earlier today I had to drive in very early this morning. I was in there at about uh, seven, 7 o'clock this morning and conducted my business, left the city of Charlotte. And as I was pulling out, there was a ruptured water main that was pouring water uh, down, a, uh, down, a, down a road. Okay, It was on an angle and an incline. It was going down a road, and it was 27 degrees. And I was very careful as I made that left-hand turn to get out there onto that road. And I had to drive through that water that was now on the roadway. And right behind me is a dude doing, I don't know, 40 in like a 30 zone, 45 in a 30 zone. And he's right on my tail. And as I clear the lights, he goes to hit the brakes because they turn red. And what do you know? He fishtails right through the intersection. Thank God nobody got hurt. But this is no joke when it's this cold you got to maintain your stuff man you got to take care of your personal infrastructure in the best way you can and i get it there are people who are saying well wait a minute they told us to to drip the faucet well we don't know what we're supposed to do well there's an alternative i didn't know about this instead of that you can put insulated covers to protect your fixtures now everybody's going to run out and buy insulated covers it's actually not going to make much of a difference because we're going to be getting up into the temperatures in, in, in the 60s. Uh, by the time we get to New Year's, it's going to be like 65. Everything that was frozen is going to be melted. It's going to be thawing. And you're going to have rain up in Buffalo where you had snow. And God knows how many poor people lost their lives in that entire situation. I mean, it's just absolutely uh, a heartbreaking uh, state of affairs. And, and then to add insult to injury again. Uh, and I've got comments on this coming up shortly uh, about this looting that took place, the, the videos that people shoot. I am amazed that people post videos of criminal acts that they are conducting. I, I never thought you'd get to a place where people would say, not only am I stealing, I'm going to make myself famous 
for stealing. I, I just, I don't get it. I never do. You know who that sounds like? That sounds to me like something Florida man would do. It's his life mission to make bad decisions. <laughs> it's time for Florida man. Nothing like a Florida man involved in drinking a little bit too much and then, well, fighting a cop. That's right. Here we go. A man released from prison two months ago is now the suspect in a bizarre DUI incident that included him attacking a Florida deputy, then rapping, quote, you think I'm scared of prison. According to the Putnam County Sheriff's Office, the incident happened on Christmas when a crash was reported at the intersection of Cisco Road and Olivia Lane in Pomona Park. The Sheriff's Office said in a news release, Pomona Park is about 75 miles south of Jacksonville. Upon arrival, the deputy made contact with a man sitting in the driver's seat of a Hyundai Sonata that appeared to have hit the Olivia Lane road sign. The vehicle was still running, and he appeared unconscious with a bottle of alcohol in his lap. The sheriff's office reported uh, that the deputy turned the vehicle off and instructed the uh, suspect to exit the vehicle. He attempted to exit the vehicle, then sat back down and tried to start the vehicle. The deputy then pulled him out of the vehicle. That's uh, when the 39-year-old pushed the deputy knocked his radio to the ground, and tried pulling the deputy's gun out of its holster. The deputy was able to take him to the ground, secure him with the assistance of fire rescue personnel, and after securing the man, the suspect began rapping to the deputy, you think I'm scared of prison. The driver lives about six miles from the crash site and was taken to the hospital for a medical exam, then put in the jail under a $185,000 bond. Officials say the charges include battery of a law enforcement officer and trafficking amounts of oxycodone, possession of a controlled substance with no prescription, and resisting an officer with violence. Oh, they also gave him obstructing police by depriving means of communication, knocking the radio out of his hand, and possession of marijuana. So, so there you go on that one. Also, a Florida man beat up his girlfriend with an ornament, a holiday ornament. 55-year-old man, you know better than that allegedly attacked his girlfriend with a holiday ornament on Christmas morning, according to documents. It was Frankie Caldwell of Clearwater, Florida, arrested after he struck his girlfriend in the head with an angel figurine during a confrontation in the couple's home at 7 a.m. on Sunday. This is terrible. The fragile Christmas ornament was shattered into pieces as a result of the attack, and the unnamed victim claimed that bits had fallen down the back of her dress. Seven o'clock in the morning. Have a cup of coffee and relax, man. There's no need for assault with a deadly angel. I am Brett Witterbull. It is the Dana Show. What's your reaction to Title 42? Happy that's uh, President Joe Biden uh, on his way to St. Croix. Maybe he was already in St. Croix uh, celebrating down on the Virgin Islands. I I'm hoping you guys will get a Virgin Island vacation. Wouldn't that be nice? Be down there in the uh, soft sand and the warm tropical uh, waters, not having to uh, struggle to get to work, put food on the table. It's got to be really nice to, to have that option if you are President Biden. Uh, getting, a, getting to go vacation 200 times. 
He spent 200 days uh, vacation and away from the job, by the way. 200 days of his administration. I get it. I know. I understand. That's just the way things kind of work these days, especially when you're 80. Um, welcome to the Dana Show. I am Brett Whittable. There's a very interesting piece that's posted up over a place called Spiked Online. Spiked, S-P-I-K-E-D-online.com. And it's entitled... Joe Biden and the rise of respectable authoritarianism. In 2022, the Democrats proved themselves to be the real threat to democracy. I think this piece is fascinating. It sets up like this. Donald Trump exited the White House many months ago. Yet in 2022, Joe Biden and his fellow Democrats talked about him endlessly. The House of Representatives January 6th committee provided a year-long infomercial condemning Trump for conspiratorial and criminal behavior. The Democrats' midterms campaign was also focused on opposing Trump, even though he wasn't on the ballot. The most striking and bizarre image of the year came in September when dark Biden stood in front of Independence Hall in Philadelphia to denounce Trump and his fellow MAGA Republicans. He was illuminated in blood-red lighting that drew comparisons with the aesthetics of the Nuremberg rallies of Adolf Hitler. Not only did Biden and the Democrats obsess over Trump in 2022, they also escalated their rhetoric about him to new extremes. The January 6th committee and its media mouthpieces constantly referred to that rally slash riot on the Capitol as an armed insurrection. Biden smeared many of you Trump supporters as semi-fascist. Such exaggerated rhetoric had only one goal to demonize Trump to make him to be much more of a threat than he really is yes the former president exhibits authoritarian tendencies but what is striking about how lousy he is at putting them into action his stop the steal nonsense after 2020 was anti-democratic but he never came close to overturning the election result his recent call to terminate the US Constitution evinced disdain for the supreme law of the country there was zero chance that anything would come from it over the past year trump's sway over american politics has declined and yet the democrats became even more obsessed with him than ever trump spent most of the year quietly tucked away in mar-a-lago most of his hand-picked Republican candidates for the midterms were defeated. His announcement that he would be running for president again in 2024 was greeted with a yawn. The Democrats claimed to hate Trump, and many of them hoped to see him thrown in jail. But the reality is the Democrats desperately need Trump. Biden constantly resurrects Trump as a boogeyman, as a foil to define himself against. You, you could say that this ploy is of political expediency. In the midterms, Biden's warnings about Trumpism were a useful distraction from his inflation, his urban crime, and the other failings of his administrations. You could say it worked. Democrats hung on to Senate seats and avoided a red wave. But there's more to the Democrats' anti-Trumpism than partisan politics. Provides a moral basis to their rule. We're saving democracy. We're fighting fascists. 
It also offers a rationale for exerting more state control over your political life and your society, except at the border and the criminals running through streets, stealing things. That's my editorial. Biden and the Democrats use the specter of Trump to assert their own brand of authoritarianism, a version less obvious and more sophisticated by Trump's, but still authoritarianism. The debate over election denialism? Well, that reveals how the Democrats' criticisms of Trump do not mean that they are principled defenders of democracy. In a speech at Union Station in D.C. in November, Biden warned that extreme mega-Republicans aim to question not only the legitimacy of past elections, but elections being held now and into the future. Gotta get them. Gotta do them in. When it comes to elections, Democrats are just as conspiratorial and anti-democratic as the wackiest Trumpists. In October, Hillary Clinton popped up to a preemptively presented question about the legitimacy of the 2024 election. Right now, extremists already have a plan, she says in a video, to literally steal the next presidential election, and they're not making a secret of it. Hillary and her friends call their campaign, Crush the Coup, which sounds awfully similar to Stop the Steal. If Biden and the Democrats simply criticize Trump for his attacks on democracy, it'd be hard to disagree, but they don't stop there. The Democrats' denunciations of Trump and his followers, you, are always a prelude to the censorship or repression of those who disagree with them. It is the classic authoritarian move. My enemies are so evil and dangerous that every illiberal action we take is totally justified and moral. The Democrats' authoritarianism is more pervasive and censorious, meaning they they censor way more than anything Trump ever tried. In the Biden era, it's the Democrats who increasingly favor government and corporate control of your political speech, especially on social media. A Pew poll found in 2021 that 65% of Democrats agreed the U.S. government should take steps to restrict, quote, false information online, even if it limits freedom of information. Only 28% of Republicans back that. Attempts by Biden and the Democrats to limit free speech go well beyond the clumsy and ill-fated disinformation governance board. As the Twitter files have now revealed, internal Twitter documents show the Biden 2020 campaign pressed Twitter and other social media organizations to ban critics or remove damaging stories. And the Biden campaign morphed into the Biden White House. It continued to collude with big tech firms to censor voices, especially those who dissented with Biden's COVID policies. Periodically, representatives of the tech giants were hauled in before Democrats in Congress and scolded for not censoring enough. That, ladies and gentlemen, is quite literally the definition of fascism, where you have the government married to the private sector and the government telling the private sector what is to be permitted to be talked about. So at the blood red speech in Philly, Biden's words were just as ominous as the setting delivered with a menacing tone. He cast a wide net, declaring all Trump voters, 70 million Americans, as a threat to this country, and then served an effective warning to them that if you express your views that we associate with Trump and Republicans, we will deploy the powers of the state against you. Merrick Garland, the school board meetings, guess what? If you protest... The FBI will come knocking at your door. 
In Philadelphia, Biden said there's no place for political violence in America, period. But again, from his one-sided perspective, only Trump-related aggression counts as political. Meanwhile, Biden pointedly refused to criticize the mobs that threatened Supreme Court justices and their homes. Even an assassination attempt on Brett Kavanaugh, Biden didn't condemn it. The silence sends a message that political intimidation is acceptable as long as it's aimed at Biden's enemies. We're in dangerous territory right now. It's a tremendous piece penned uh, over at uh, spikedonline.com. Joe Biden and the rise of respectable authoritarianism. I am Brett Witterbull. You're listening to The Dana Show. Politics, pop culture, and whatever else gets canceled, tossed in a blender, paid for by sponsored hate mail. It's The Dana Show. Please also hear that I'm truly sorry. Here's why this giant puzzle is taking us several days to solve. Southwest is the largest carrier in the country, not only because of our value and our values, but because we build our flight schedule around communities, not hubs. I have nothing but pride and respect for the efforts of the people of Southwest who are showing up in every way. The tools we use to recover from disruption serve us well 99% of the time, but clearly we need to double down on our already existing plans to upgrade systems for these extreme circumstances so that we never again face what's happening uh, right now. So the system failed. It's becoming clearer moment by moment. Southwest CEO Bob Jordan putting out that video on Twitter, apologizing for the cancellation chaos of Southwest Airlines. Except we've got new information coming in here. Southwest executives sounded the alarm days before the Christmas calamity. Operational emergency was called. Now, this is new information. A Southwest Airline executive warned of a staffing crisis at one of its major airports days before thousands of passengers were stranded over the Christmas holiday weekend. That's according to a report. Chris Johnston, Johnson, Southwest's vice president of ground operations, circulated a memo to ramp workers on December 21st. That's seven days ago. December 21st, four days before Christmas. The memo declared a state of operational emergency at its base in Denver after an unusually high number of employees didn't show up for work. This is according to uh, sourcing coming out of Bloomberg News. The Post, New York Post, reached out to Southwest for comment. Now, on Monday, the Dallas-based company finally cited weather and staffing issues at Denver International Airport for setting off a chain of events that led to massive system-wide disruptions that began over the holiday weekend and extended into this week. The airline scrapped an additional 2,500 flights on Wednesday, raising the total to 10,000 since Johnson first sounded that alarm on December 21st. So the word went out four days before Christmas. Hey, we've got a, a problem here. Uh, on our hands what are we going to do about this the video that you just heard from with uh with the uh, ceo of of uh southwest uh, jordan uh blame the winter storm for snarling the highly complex network we have some real work to do you heard that in the uh in the messaging but if you knew this if you knew this already four days before christmas and you have a bunch of people not show up to work uh 
this company is now in a real pickle because are you going to fire all those people that didn't show up to work? Because if you fire all those people in Denver that did not show up to work, who is going to work that shift? You've gotten to this place now where uh, it's no longer essential personnel. It's critical personnel. And they, they can do almost anything that they want to do because they're calling the tune. See, here's what I would do. If I were Mr. Jordan, I would say, I want the list of the people who did not show up to work in Denver. And I want the list of the people who did show up to work in Denver during the crisis. And I would, I think I'd hand out ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 checks to the people that came to work. And I wouldn't hand out those checks to the people that no-showed. Okay, maybe you had a legitimate reason. We're not firing you, but we're going we're gonna to remunerate. We're going to benefit the people who had the, the good intentions of coming to work. That's, this is all you really got to do. It's not about punishing employees because they'll just quit. It's about bonusing employees who act appropriately. That's really the best way to handle these sorts of situations. It, it, it stinks that this happened. Let's hope that they get past this. We can't do without this airline. It's obviously a huge airline in the country. It's not going to go out of business. But my gosh, come on. We got to do something here. Something's got to get done. You know what we need? We need a quick five. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. Chester County, Pennsylvania, two people accused of stealing holiday tips that were left out for sanitation workers. Who who does this? Who steals tips from sanitation workers? You had folks who said we were gonna do something really nice. We're gonna we're gonna leave some money for the sanitation workers. Nope, no good. Here come the thieves. The thieves are everywhere. They're in they're in Buffalo. Uh, they're they're at every turn you come upon, it's really upsetting. People are giving up their pets. I mentioned this earlier in the program. They're blaming inflation. Here's the problem. These folks can't pay for veterinary bills. They Sometimes they can't pay for cat food, dog food, cat food, and dog food. So they're just dumping their pets all over the country. It's important. If you have the wherewithal and the means, go and adopt a shelter pet. Because these, these, these innocent animals will give you all your love, all the love that they can give you, but you got to treat them right. Toxic masculinity... Over on uh, Daily Costs, it indicates that uh, it may be caused by an actual infectious brain-altering parasite. Are you kidding me? Toxic masculinity is from an actual parasite? I don't believe that, not for a minute. There's a woman out there who's charging $480 an hour to help Gen Z millennial workers, Gen Z and millennial workers, overcome their fear of talking to people on the phone. They've gotten so acculturated to uh, texting people that they they're no longer they're no longer able to talk on the phone. Now, I got a couple of uh, late teenagers uh, who who are much more likely to text me from their bedroom than to answer me when I when I yell, "Hey, I got a question for you." Finally, Disneyland is ad- is addressing increasing hostility and fighting at Disney parks. They've now created courtesy sections on their websites, apparently in response to an increase in fights at the theme parks. Their top things that you should know areas. We ask all who come to this happy place to treat others with respect, kindness, and compassion. 
to help guests have a safe and enjoyable experience, we regularly update our Disneyland Resort rules. They're just basically saying, listen, don't punch people in the face. Don't use profanity. Don't engage in unsafe and illegal disruptive behavior. Don't jump lines. Save that for the airports. Really, really rough them up at the airports, but not at Disneyland. I am Brett Witterbull. You're listening to The Data Show. When you're stuck discussing politics with your friends, who's the most informed person in the group? Yep, you are. You're welcome. Listen, follow, subscribe. The Dana Show. I am Brett Witterbull in for Dana on The Dana Show. Just, just incredible to uh, take a look at some of the craziness uh, on the politically correct left. Uh, there is a new attempt. There's a new attempt to rename something that I didn't know somebody would want to rename. You know the poinsettia plant? Merry Christmas, by the way. Merry Christmas week to you. Um, Happy New Year uh, as well, a little bit early. But yeah, uh, poinsettia plants, right? Those are those are certainly something that are hugely important, especially if you're living um in a place where you can get access to them and have them as decorations oftentimes you'll see them in churches um it's a it's it's a beautiful plant one that i've always enjoyed taking a look at especially this time of the year well liberals in the mainstream media are now collectively looking to distort christmas and the holiday season how so well the washington post was trying to change things up now vox vox which on tuesday tweeted out its video from December 21st, claiming that people are now renaming poinsettia plants. They don't want to call them poinsettia plants any longer. As the approximately seven-minute video begins by pointing out, the poinsettia has numerous other names, including the Cutlaxochitl, one of the oldest names from the Aztec but also a particularly hard-to-pronounce word. When it comes to how the plant came here, it has to do with what Vox refers to as the controversial legacy of Joel Poinsett. Oh, no. Now they're coming for Joel Poinsett? I have no idea who that is. Besides the centuries-old use and difficult-to-pronounce name, that name, the acute loxocatol, is even less necessary a name given to use, given that Mexicans who live in the region where the plant is native started going with their own name after Spanish friars. Not, not people making French fries, Spanish friars, you know, the, 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 the monks. After they used the poinsettia plant to decorate nativity scenes, Spanish-speaking Mexicans started calling it La Flor de Noche Buena, the flower of Christmas Eve. Joel Poinsett, who in 1825 was appointed Minister of Mexico, is the one responsible for making the plant known more around the world. He sent it back home to be shared with fellow botanists. They were debuted at an 1829 flower show in Philadelphia. The name Poinsettia stuck as a way to celebrate Joel Poinsett's legacy, who would also become the U.S. Secretary of War and was elected to the Congress. He was a founding member of what would be the Smithsonian. 
poinsett supposedly has a tainted legacy because during his time as minister he was quote aggressively attempting to increase american influence oh my gosh he's one of them he's one of those people that thinks america is a great place what can we do about this quick somebody get howard zinn on the phone it's going to be a very long distance call but he was aggressively attempting to increase American influence there and expand the American border until he was recalled to the United States at the request of the Mexican president. He, like many other people of his time, thought less of those that he referred to as aboriginals and as a South Carolina native also owned slaves. That's bad. Mexicans used the term poinsettissimo as an insult. It was Poinsett's role as secretary of war because he's from South Carolina, Secretary of War and involvement in the Trail of Tears that, according to the Trail of Tears video, cemented the Poinsett's place in history as a man who believed in American expansion at all costs. Andy Jackson had a lot to do with it. I mean, Andy Jackson was really, he was the president that did the Trail of Tears. It really, it's Andy Jackson that does deserve, Andy Jackson, it was a Republican called Andy, wait, no, it was a Democrat called Andy Jackson that did the Trail of Tears tears hmm. which means poinsett is probably also a democrat because there wasn't a republican party back in 1825 that wouldn't happen until much much later on in american history so to vox's ire Poinsett's legacy remains not just with the poinsettia plant, but with state parks, highways, statues in his home state of South Carolina. All of that's got to go. They're going to take all that. It's all got to get taken down, uh, get rid of it, and then we'll have to put something else there, I guess, right? The plant has been engineered further in the United States to become more full and compact. So we've improved the poinsettia or the lacatacachotl. I can't pronounce it. I don't know. I don't speak Aztec. I'm sorry. Like, I literally don't speak Aztec. And an industry worth $170 million in this country. The video laments, by the way, how importantly the market that the U.S. has cornered while shutting Mexican out, Mexico out. So we're like, we're cultural appropriators who are also dominating the market. Worth pointing out is that the video also mentions how the Mexican version of the plant was more likely to wither, which is why it was originally called the Cuitlaxicotl. I think I got it right that time. I think I think I hit that one finally. It isn't until about the last moments of the video that the claim is made that the people are actually going about renaming the plant in recent years. Many have found a different small way to honor the plant's history, which is supposedly by rejecting the name Poinsettia and using the, Ax the, uh, the Aztec name, which is a name that hopefully reminds people of the true origins of the plant of the season. There, there's no mention of how many is a many. I mean, there are people in Mexico, you know, there's people in Mexico who don't speak Aztec either. There's all kinds of languages in Mexico. I mean, there's this incredible, there's, there's an incredible diversity of people in Mexico. There's people that speak Spanish, and then there's tribal languages, uh, and then you've got Aztec 
uh, uh, down there as well. In fact, Victor Davis Hanson, I was talking to Victor Davis Hanson one time. You guys know him, right? He's a super smart professor. I think he's like a seventh generation Californian. Like he's been, his family's been in California, I think since like the late 1700s. He tells the story of everything being bilingual in California. You got to do everything bilingual, trilingual, quadlingual, because you got to put it in a variety of different languages. Okay. So they have a community near where he lives and they sent a bunch of uh, bulletins, you know, alerts to the parents of the kids in the schools. And so they had to print them on one side of the paper was English and on the other side of the paper was Spanish. I grew up with a very similar set of circumstances living in El Paso, Texas, right? Because it's a very bilingual place. It's 88% Hispanic and about 10% uh, Anglo, as they would call. So you would get double-sided stuff. You get, okay, front is English, back is Spanish, or front is Spanish, back is English, whatever. You just kind of deal with it over time. So the superintendent of the schools was spending $100,000 a year printing out sheets that would go to the parents in the community. But there was a problem. You know what the problem was? There in the Central Valley of California, you had communities of people from Mexico who had emigrated to work as, as part of agricultural work and construction work and things like that. They had emigrated, some legally, some illegally, but their kids were in the schools and they were being educated. The superintendent sends out the alert that's got the Spanish on one side, the English on the other, goes out to the parents, and then he gets all these questions from the parents about what he just sent out. And he's saying to himself, wait a minute, hold on. I gave him to you in English. I gave it to you in Spanish. Turns out, turns out the people didn't speak English or Spanish. They spoke a tribal language uh, down in southern Mexico, like down by Chiapas. So what are you going to do? They printed all those documents, distributed it out to the people. And the people couldn't even read it. They couldn't read it in English. They couldn't read it in Spanish. This is the great challenge. Because in our minds, we go, oh, English or Spanish, English or Chinese, English or Filipino, English or Vietnamese, English or, I mean, you, know, you got all these different languages, right, that, that are in the United States. And still, you will not be comprehensive enough to hit everybody. So I think if they want to call it by its Aztec name, God bless them. If they wanna, if they wanna call it the poinsettia, okay, be careful. And if you wanna call it something else, you call it something else. It's just really incredible. Think of the shamrock. Think of the shamrock. Do you think that's a Celtic word? I don't know. But I bet it's a different word for the Celts that lived in Ireland pre 500 AD. That's all I'm saying. Language changes circumstances change it's very hard to hold people to a standard that no longer actually exists except in small corners other than trying to be understanding i guess and now you know the rest of the story i'm brett Witterbull. this is the dana show listen to the dana show live on the odyssey app weekdays noon to 3 p.m eastern time and welcome back i am brett Witterbull in for dana on the dana show 
Interesting stuff that um, keeps coming to light as a result of our insecure border. And the border is insecure. I mean, it's just a fact, right? I mean, we know there are people who are crossing the border, even though you're only supposed to cross at an official an official crossing point. People are just wading across the river, coming on into the United States and, and hoping to make the best of it. So let's talk about the business being done at the border. And it's going to involve cartels, but it's not going to involve cartels dealing drugs. We, we talked about that earlier in the program. Let's talk about the business of selling people, which is really what's going on down at the border. And, and if people would talk about it in these terms, I think it would be shocking enough to American citizens that the American citizens would demand action. Because um, right now, you have people being bought and sold that are coming up through mexico so we just heard about poinsettia and we just heard about poinsett and how he's from south carolina and he's part of the legacy of slavery we have modern day slavery happening right now right now in this time and in our own country and yet there is no abolition movement taking effect where people are marching and protesting and um trying to trying to do uh, what what you could do to try to stop this scourge. So, here are some facts. Worst November in DHS history. 233,740 illegal aliens apprehended at the border just in November. Think about the biggest stadium you've ever been in. It's probably... 70, 80,000 seats, 233,000 came in that we apprehended in November. Since Joe Biden took office, 5.3 million illegal aliens have crossed the border since he signed his executive order, essentially opening the border. So think about this. Mexican cartels are making $13 billion a year smuggling illegal aliens into the U.S. That is 26 times as much money as they made in 2018. That's not even including drugs. That's just human cargo. Where, where are the speeches in the House? Where are the speeches from the Democrats and the Republicans um, condemning this. This is bondage. Because what happens is you pay a certain amount of money, they bring you up, they put you in a stash house, they call the people back at home and say, okay, wire us the money, or this person's going to be forced into sexual slavery, male, female, child, doesn't matter. That's what they're going to do. So you better come up with the money. Now, perspective. I think this is some perspective here. $13 billion, one year, smuggling illegal immigrants into the United States. The NFL generates $13 billion a year in revenue. They have to pay overhead and expenses. They got to pay taxes. That $13 billion becomes $8.7 billion. The cartels at the border rake in more money than the NFL. Think about that. Think about that. 
now I see a lot of snotty comments that are out there. You can't just bomb the cartels. The cartels can't be stopped. The cartels can't be controlled. The cartels can't, 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 can't. Well, if you don't take any action at the border, then they are going to control that border. So another way of thinking about this, though, this is not going to be appealing to progressives because they, they, they don't much like um, uh, laws being enforced to preserve the integrity of the United States. They don't think America is a special place. We're just like any other place. Um, these people have a right to just come up and take big pieces of territory. These cartels are operating. It's just how it is. Mexico is corrupt. That's just how it is. Okay, but setting aside Mexico being corrupt and the cartels being uh, e evil, what about the slaves being trafficked? Like, if you knew there were ships departing with people on board to be sold in the United States, would that be an outrage to the average person? Of course it would be. Of course it would be. We fought a war over it. All right? Harper's Ferry was about that. I mean, th th this, is, this is a very serious matter. Yet, if you go and talk to people who work in the, uh, uh, in the abolition movements around the world, people that, that work in Europe, the people that work um, in, in, in South Asia, in, in Africa, you know what you'll find out very quickly? There are more people living in bondage in this world today, meaning in slavery, in this world today than, than at any time in human history. Because it's such a lucrative enterprise. When we took out Muammar Gaddafi in Libya, do you know what's operating in Tripoli right now? Do you know what's operating in Libya right now? Slave markets. Slave markets are open for business right there right now. And this is all stuff that we got involved in and we left uh, uh, ruin. What do you think's going on in Afghanistan, Pakistan? What, what do you think is going on all over the world? But we won't even control it at our own border. Why is that? Somebody's got to be making money. Some, I, I don't, Republican, Democrat, declined to state, I don't care. It shouldn't be done. And in this season, in this time, we, we, we ought to be unified in a voice demanding from the president, cut back here from, you get back here from, 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 uh, from the Virgin Islands and get to work on this thing. I hope, I hope Kevin McCarthy lays down a marker. I'm not optimistic because no one's going to lobby for these people being held against their will. And there's a lot of votes that they represent for the wrong side of the argument. Thank you so much to Stephen and each and every one of you. I'm Brett Witterbull. It is The Dana Show.